Welcome back and hello to Zero Credits, the show where we talk about things. My name's Henry. And me, I'm John. And together we're Henry and John, back again for the 19th million time. Back again, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, for the 75th time. Is that, okay, is that 75 counting, like, extra episodes? Hmm. Because this is only, like, episode 63 or 64 of Zero Credits, but we, we have done extra things on our, quote, channel. Oh, 65? Nice. 63 or 64? 64, nice. Yeah, something like that. Something around there. You know what episode we're getting close to? 75? Nope. 65? Close. 69? Nice. Oh my god. What? <laughs> nice. You're not like that. Yeah, <laughs> nice. Uh, so John. What's up? Uh, we, we, you know, we went on a little break. We went on, you might say, a vacation. A vacation. And, uh, I... What did you do on your vacation? What did I do on my vacation is a great question. Ooh, the 4th of July happened. Did you get the 4th off? Yes, I did get the 4th off. I did not get the 3rd off, which is bullshit. Yeah, isn't that... It's like, oh, you you know, we encourage you to take time off if you need it, but we're not gonna help. Yeah, no. I did not get the 3rd off, which very much annoyed me, so I spent the 4th getting rage drunk. Wait, like angry drunk? Yes, I got drunk angrily and then I forgot what I was angry about. Well, that's the best way to get angry, I guess. And then I lit things on fire and then they exploded. And that, you know, completes the anger cycle. So can we talk about fireworks for a second? I think we can. I think that's a, that's a thing we can do, John. Now, I'm not a wasteful human being and I'm not one for spectacle. Okay. Now that my value signaling is out of the way, uh, <laughs> I really enjoy fireworks. I don't like fireworks shows, not at all. Okay, so you don't like going to like a park and, and sitting out on a picnic blanket and watching somebody else blow up fireworks? Or you're, you're a do-it-yourself kind of person? I'm absolutely a do-it-myself kind of person because I think that the appeal of fireworks is, yes, a lot of it is the fact that a big, uh, beautiful phosphorescent explosion happens in the sky but i think maybe 75 percent of the appeal is how dangerous it is and and how up close and personal to this potential explosive you have to get in order to create something beautiful yeah because i think that there's a huge huge amount of joy to be had on the fourth of july from lighting off your own fireworks and i don't mean like sparklers and bottle rockets but if you live within city limits well, I, I guess I was technically within city limits at the time. But if you live in city limits and you're of limited means, then I understand if that's all you have, and you should still do it. Yeah, y- you know, I, I think, you know, I hate how much I say you know. Uh, fire was man's first invention. And, the and fire, it's our best. It, it's also our best. And the firework is like a happy form of man's first invention for everyone to enjoy. It's kind of this bastardization of what should be terrifying military technology and is just fun stuff for you to blow up. It's kind of like taming a wolf in that it's dangerous and like ferocious and everyone can see it, but the fact that you're taming the wolf makes you feel strong and powerful and it makes other people happy because like wolves are like big dogs. Yeah, wolves are adorable. And I think that something about setting off fireworks is is intoxicating because I think that human beings have, I mean, it's been, you know, demonstrated, science says so, that we have parts of our brain that like doing dangerous things. You know, adrenaline is fun. Yeah, and it's also necessary for survival. If we didn't like doing dangerous things, we wouldn't go hunt things that are bigger than us, and we wouldn't eat the meat, and we would probably die off. So I think fireworks is a a way of, like, calling back to that primal need to be dangerous. And fear and danger are, some could argue, just proof in our brain that we're pushing our limits and potentially getting better or expanding our minds in some way. So danger is cool. Yeah, and, uh, you know, in the same way that Saiyans grow stronger every battle they fight... (coughs) Sorry. 
uh, every firework you walk away from makes you stronger in some sense. I, uh, I'm actually inclined to believe that uh, and agree with that because let me walk you through some of the fireworks I set off and they are by no means uh, incredible. All right. Uh, we just got like a, a $50 pack of fireworks, so they were pretty varied. We started with sparklers, uh, firecrackers, pooping dogs, expanding snakes, egg-laying hens. You're making up some of these. Your usual snake-pooping-hen scenario. Of course, everyone is familiar with that. But then there were fountains, which are always fun, because a fountain is essentially just a big triangle that you light a fuse on, and then just sparks just explode out of the top of it for a minute or so. Yeah. Did did you fire off any Roman candles? Yes, Roman candles are my favorite. Roman candles are the best firework known to man. Not, Not because of their visual display, but because you're actively shooting fire out of a stick. And you could do that with most other fireworks if you held them, but the thing about Roman candles is they're made or insulated in such a way that they don't burn the crap out of your hand. Yeah, you know, you could try to hold on to a bottle rocket, but uh, not advisable, really. Now, I actually get to use a firework from this batch that I've never used before, and I was a big fan. Was it the big boom-sickle? Uh, it did make a big boom, uh, but it is... It's in multiple parts, which is the first a first for me in the world of fireworks. Wait, did you have to assemble it, or did you just light separate parts at the same time? So what it is, is a big plastic base with a big, thick cardboard tube. Oh, I've seen that before, yeah. And you set up the tube, and it has, I think it had six of these big, like, small cannonball charges with fins on the bottom, with big, long fuses... Yeah, yeah. That you drop down inside, you lit the fuse, and then when it got to the thing, it would go foomp, and go all the way up in the air and explode, and it was, it was like a mortar. I was about like to say firing that, a mortar. Yeah, it's just, it's the firework mortar, because so many fireworks are approximations or recreations of actual military-grade equipment. And it, there's something very thrilling about running out there to this thing, dropping one of those things down it, laying the fuse, and running and thinking, I could get seriously hurt if something goes wrong. This is great. John, just out of curiosity, have you ever seen a sparkler bomb? I've never seen a sparkler bomb, but I have heard tell. I, I've experienced a, a sparkler bomb on a, on a particular 4th of July where I was hanging out with Probably similar people, but before I knew you, I think? Mm. Uh, do you know what one is? Isn't it like a tennis ball full of sparklers? It's it's basically if you would duct tape uh, about 50 to 100 to 200 to 500 sparklers together and mm. lit them all at once. Oh, that would blind you. It would blind you, and also it makes a pretty sizable explosion that actually breaks the sound barrier. Nice. Uh, I've experienced it in person once, and uh, I didn't, like, the people who lit it were, like, giggling and laughing, and then as soon as they lit it, they were like, all right, everyone needs to get to a safe distance of about 50 feet. Uh, In in fact, we're going to run now. And so, like, we all ran back, and the explosion, like, you could, like, see the pop in the air. I badly want to do that now. Uh, it's very dangerous. People have died from it doing it mm. or been very injured from it. Uh, so, you know, get a professional and be very far away from any trees, foliage, or houses. I, uh, I'll, I'll look into, I'll look into being safe. I might not look into doing a, a sparkler bomb, but something I was thinking now that we combine two ideas. Yeah. Uh, one thing I was going to say is I've never seen, fireworks that come in multiple pieces because there aren't there are instructions for what to do but they're easily missed so if i had just taken one of these balls and just lit it what would it do i have no idea oh that's a very good question because presumably like being in the tube makes it launch upward or something like that yeah being in the tube gets it under control because these things are basically just balls that have little tie stabilizers with fins on the bottom, so they're not going to fly very straight without help. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. I'm glad you read the instructions and didn't, like, lose a hand. And they explode real big. I, I bet. They're, like, they sound like cannonballs. 
But what I was thinking is, so everyone here has done a Roman candle war. Yeah, probably. Oh, what if you did a war with those things? What if you had a Roman candle war and a fire... Okay, so firecrackers are your grenades. Okay. Roman candles are your assault weapons. And you set up these massive mortar firework launchers at a 45 degree angle to fire them at people. Uh, I've actually had a fire a firework war before. Yeah, no, Roman candle... Roman Candle Wars are legit. I actually, we, we like approximated, I guess, you know, World War One snipers because we use bottle rockets to try oh, to no. hit each other. Yeah. Yeah, you bottle just, rockets are scary. I don't like them. That, some got really close. Like, some made my ears ring and I was like, all right, that's all. <laughs> You're not supposed to be accurate with these things. Yeah, I, uh, I used to have Roman Candle Wars when I was a teenager and... There was one time where I got pegged right in the chest with one. Oh, wow. And and it burned a hole through my shirt, so yeah. that was fun. Yeah, I, I mean, it is fire. It's literal fire and the weird chemical, you know, mixture of chemicals that makes it not uh, explode. I'm, fire doesn't explode. I don't know what I'm trying to say. It makes it pretty colors, John. Henry, do you think they're still selling fireworks? Because talking about these is getting me pretty jazzed up to go buy some. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of people, a lot of towns and cities have ordinances against fireworks because they are so dangerous. So you get, a lot of times you got to wait for a a major holiday, but sometimes you see those warehouses set up along the side of interstates and highways and stuff like that. And I just have to wonder if they're actually open. And I mean, the place where I was setting these off, I am uh, vehemently against setting off meaningful fireworks within city limits because they scare pets. Yes, that's a really huge issue, and the, your pets can't understand. Like That's one of the reasons why I've always wanted to be able to talk to pets, because I, I want to tell my dog, all right, for the next stupid three days, people are going to be making loud explosions, and it's okay, and if you need me, I'll be here for you, but they, they can't understand, so they just think the world's ending, and they cry and shake, and it's not a fun time for them. It is, it's a very unfun time for them. And what I uh, did in this case, and what I always do, is I go out somewhere kind of in the country to do it. Yeah, that's a good idea. And sure, I was technically in city limits for this most recent one, but I was very far away from people. That's good. And uh, yeah, fireworks are just rad. Not it- to be a bad influence to our podcast listeners, but... <laughs> uh, I actually... For the past few 4th of Julys, we've been going to uh, a mountain town for the 4th of July. I already said mm-hmm. 4th of July. But, um, and it, we, we stay up on the actual mountain and there's a town at the, at the base of the mountain. And that's where they'll do the fireworks show because they can't do, you can't do fireworks over a certain, uh, elevation just because of like, you know, forest fires and stuff like that. Yeah. Cause you might hit God. You might hit God. Yes. Of course. And, uh, I have experienced this weird phenomenon where because light travels faster than sound, you see the firework and then a good 30 to 40 seconds, depending on the wind, you will hear the pop. Mm-hmm. And, uh, separating the, ex- the lightful, the light colorful explosion from the sound is very jarring. And, and, you know, you hear stories of soldiers coming back from war. And their PTSD is triggered by fireworks. And, uh, I, I could, you can, I can really relate to those soldiers, not saying I, I know what they're going through, but the pop separated from the light, colorful explosions, it sounds like gunfire. It sounds like explosions. It sounds like war. You have like the, well, I mean, this is just a reality of firearms, but generally you don't hear the sound. If someone is shooting at you, you hear a slight whiz and then a crack. Yeah. Which sounds a lot like a firecracker or a bottle rocket going off. And, and, I mean, normally, you it, the, the, the gunshots we hear on a day-to-day basis, if we hear any at all, might be at a firing range where it's controlled burst. And, you know, it's you never really hear answering gunshots. It's all in one direction. But with fireworks, they're going everywhere in the sky, and so the explosions, the the pops are all uh, separated, and it sounds like 
people are returning fire at each other. And like, it, it's, it's weird and jarring to see these bright, colorful explosions and everyone's happy around you. And all you can think about is just, what the fuck? It sounds like a goddamn battlefield down there. I had a moment where I went to a, uh, a Winn-Dixie. Okay. On maybe two days before the 4th of July. And it was at night. And I was hearing these distant, like, crack, 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 crack. I was like, oh, someone's getting shot. Yeah. I, I mean, if you, if you separate the noise from the, the visual effect, it's an approximation of war. That's what fireworks are, in, in essence. I mean, to be fair, we were just talking about using them as mortars and assault weapons and grenades, so I don't think the the jump is not that far, I guess. Yeah, I, I mean, I, that's kind of what got me thinking down this line and, and got me remembering about the mountain. But, but also, if you think about our national anthem, we talk about the rocket's red glare. So it's fireworks, in essence, are sort of recreating something about war that we celebrate in this weird way that I don't think we think about. And there was a, a time when I was setting off these fireworks and uh, we were, we weren't setting off the mortar one. We were setting off one of the big boxes that send up like a whole bunch of them and whatever. Yeah. And uh, a friend turned to me and said, to think people use this to kill people. Gee, well, I mean, it's, it's true. It's, it's what it was. They're, they're, We've 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 entertainerized. We we've pacified war and and turned it into a form of celebration and exuberance. It's just a way to yell at God and tell him we're still here. <laughs> what? That's a funny thought. It's just like you know we're just, we only shoot off fireworks to be like, what are you gonna do about it, God? Huh? Huh? Can't stop me, God. I'm going to learn to skywrite so I can write, hey, God, backwards. Yeah, so you can read it. And then I'm going to throw a firework out of my plane. Yeah, and it's going to fall on someone's house and scare them. And then they'll be they'll, they'll know the wrath of, of man. <laughs> the wrath of man. Because, because it's not you doing it, God. It's me, Harold. Can you imagine a humanist that is so insufferable that instead of saying God, they say man? Man, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> it probably exists, if not in just satire. I'm sure it's somewhere on, like, Reddit. Oh, yeah, that's that's where all of the super satirical things are these days. Thanks, Reddit. You're the best, Reddit. I don't know. Here's something I've been struggling with, Henry. Uh, what have you been struggling with, John? I've been struggling with the idea that, okay, so nobody wants to be the grandparent that doesn't know what a TiVo is. Uh, they're called DVRs now. <laughs> no one wants to be the grandparent that doesn't know what a DVR is. Yeah, no one wants to be out of touch, right? Right. And I, I've been thinking, and I have gotten very complacent in certain things, because I do try to keep up with, with most things, I guess, uh, but... You know, I try to keep up with the news, I try to keep up with uh, music and movies and books and all that good stuff. Yeah. But I get complacent in the places I get my news, I get complacent in the places I get my, like, information and my curios for the day. I even got complacent in the places I get financial information. So what are you saying? I I'm saying that how do you reconnect? Like, how do you... How do you get back into the fold? How do you stop reading CNN and Reddit and get on, like, that deep web shit? <laughs> well, I don't know how to get on the deep web shit, and I'm not even sure what you would find there. But it, it's kind of like you, we've got all these algorithms set in place that only shows us things that we want to see. You know, with the Google ads and the Facebook, how Facebook works and stuff like that. So it's just a matter of searching for things that you wouldn't normally search for. So if you are always get your news from CNN, you might as well type in MSNBC or, or Fox or just one of the other networks. And that's a fucking wasp in my... All right, so now that that's dealt with, uh, <laughs> I was saying it's just about like opening your worldview, being conscious of your the sources that you're looking at. And if you're aware that you're just going to Reddit over and over again... You got to try to find a new a new site or something like that. 
You know, I'm definitely finding myself in a situation that I've never been in before where I have to consciously make a choice to absorb things from different places. I, I got comfortable, and you can't be comfortable, Henry, because comfort is death. Yeah, I mean, one thing that happened after the, the most recent presidential election is that I realized that I had blocked a lot of people I disagreed with, and that created kind of a bubble of my own personal news feed. So one thing that I did uh, after the election results ha- happened and I was so shocked is I, I unblocked everybody. Mm. Because if they're out there, then I need to be aware that they're out there so that I'm not blindsided by things or by a ma- not a majority, but like the latter voices that I've been blocking out. You know, I think there's a very strong temptation in our everyday lives to say, you know, I've put up with this today. I've put up with this this week. My life is hard. I'm tired and I don't have the energy to wage mental combat against things that I don't necessarily agree with or I don't necessarily understand. So I want to fill my feed. I want to fill my news aggregators. I want to fill my Google searches with things that confirm my bias. It's the same thing as like, you know, going out for fast food rather than cooking your meals at home. We are one of the most adaptive creatures on the planet. And one thing that we can't, or one part of that is that we adapt to being lazy or to being, I, I don't know. To, to, we come up with excuses a lot to say like, Oh, I don't have the energy. But the thing is you do have the energy because you're not falling asleep right now. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we adapt to this idea that we don't have enough energy. We use, we see other people use the excuse and that makes us think we can use it. And so we get lazy, we get complacent. And, you know, there's nothing quite wrong with that other than it might not be the healthiest thing. You might not be the most informed person. And overall, your life, there's no real detriment to it. It's just like you're not getting the full picture anymore. And I think that human beings, to, to touch on that, have two really incredible abilities. Yeah. And we have an ability to uh, sense and act upon the the path that would take us the least energy to pursue because naturally we want to conserve energy because we want to survive. Yes. But I feel like humans, along with almost all other animals, are subject to something called Wolf's Law. Oh, what is Wolf's Law? Uh, Wolf's Law actually, it, it more pertains to musculature and skeletal uh, tissue in living things, but I think it applies to... Everything, and I'm, I'm making this way too broad, and this is more of a personal belief than what Wolf's Law actually says. Okay, well, well let's start with just the, the technical definition of Wolf's Law, and then you can, you can walk us through how it is applied to everything. Wolf's Law says that a body will adapt to the load that is put on it. Oh, so like resistance training, kind of. Yeah, you're, if there's a load put on an animal, its bones will get denser, its muscles will get bigger, its tendons will get stronger. Okay. And I think that emotionally and intellectually, if human beings continue to pile a load upon themselves, they grow. I, I think that stands to reason. And I think that we have to make a like conscious choice every day to say, yeah, we could do the thing that requires the least energy, but if I do the thing that requires more energy, if I do the intellectual equivalent of working out, I'm going to get stronger. Yeah. Which is why I've started reading, like, tech news sites and, uh, like, really deep-dive financial news sites because I hardly understand everything there, but they're being, like, spoken of and written of in such... Away, and it's such a deep level of understanding that I, I think if I get to understand that, then I will understand the situation better. I, I think that's a good line of thinking. It, it kind of lines up with a learn something new every day thing, just with a little more thought put into it, because you're ultimately reaching the end goal of becoming a better or more understanding person. Because I, you know, you can't help but read tech news, especially if you're interested in, you know financials or you know the financial and economic health of the country and you read about like a startup or you read about google or facebook or like alibaba or alibaba alibaba i don't know (laughs) but you uh you you read about these things and the 
The general consensus on places like CNN or Forbes or even Business Insider will always be like, oh, this company was acquired for this much by this company. What could it mean? Snapchat filters are cool. Yeah, I, I mean, a lot of these these industry news kind of things, they don't actually say anything like, oh, Amazon just bought Whole Food for $41 billion or whatever, but it's just like, but what does that mean for the average consumer? And the truth is, they don't know because it hasn't happened yet. They're just reporting what's happening right now. And then if you go to like a deep dive financials website, they'll give you the same story, but they'll say, oh, this financial company was backed in Series A funding to some crazy degree by this Indian company. And then you, you read about that and you realize that a lot of this has to do with a general like growing of foreign investment in India. And you just learned a hundred times more than that CNN article could teach you. Yeah, CNN is is kind of like for the mass consumer, but if you follow the money, you know, and deep dive into the actual experts who are actually writing uh, reports for other experts in the field, then you'll get a, a much bigger picture, a much more complex picture, and uh, you might have more understanding of why exactly Amazon bought Whole Foods or whatever. I, I wonder if you could live your life that way, like not reading anything... That was written for easy consumption, just reading things written by experts. Uh, I mean, I think a lot of people who who go into deep research do that, but they, you know, that, that's a lot. That's kind of taxing. So, I mean, a lot of people like that they choose a, a particular field and they research it their entire lives, and then they turn that into PhDs. What if we could be PhDs of everything? Wolf's Law, Henry. <laughs> I, with the understanding of Wolf's Law, it would be technically possible. I just don't know how much energy it would take. Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely the thing. Is sure, I went to uh, I went to a deep dive financials website to find all that stuff out, but it did take more time and effort. But honestly, if I had read that article that just said this company is being bought by this company, or this company has this much like after money valuation. I would have forgotten it, but since I put in legwork and made a connection myself, then I I will remember it at least for a few days. Yeah, uh, the more effort you put into learning something, the more likely you are going to retain it, even if it's just for a couple of days or a couple of hours. Um, because we're just exposed to so much news these days, just because the internet is is, is right on our fingertips and that it contains every piece of news you could ever want and more. So it's it's just like we're inundated with news and information so much so that the brain can't tell what's important and what's not, so it lets go of pretty much everything. So do you think there's something to be said, and I know we shit on like BuzzFeed, clickbait, kind of super populist news sources yeah. a lot on this podcast, but do you think there's there's an argument for... Websites like that have largely won out because of people's desire to expend as little energy as possible. Wait, what was the question? So do you think websites like BuzzFeed or whatever else, Uproxx, and all of these <laughs> yeah. other places, that they've won and have become journalistic hubs because people don't want to spend a lot of mental energy on a day-to-day -day basis, it's just an instinct? Yeah, I think that's exactly why they're they're winning out. It, it's kind of like the same thing of why reality television became such a big thing during like the writer strike. It just became an easier thing to to film reality that and not pay the writers. The same thing kind of goes for you know your average news reader these days doesn't have that the same attention span as they once did, just because everything is fighting for our attention. Uh, we're being pulled in so many different directions. So, like, this simplistic kind of listicle style of writing journalism is becoming more popular. And at the same time, we're losing something. And I, I think BuzzFeed is actually trying to, to win something back because they have started being more political. They, they actually have, like, correspondence in the White House now and stuff like that. And it, it is very shitty 
it is very easy, rather, to shit on BuzzFeed, but they have gotten some amount of, like, actual journalistic integrity, and I, I don't think it's fair to, to drag them down when they're clearly making an effort. Yeah, you know, things like Uproxx and the, uh, the, Im- the imitations of BuzzFeed, those are the ones that you should shit all over, because even though BuzzFeed has this weird kind of, like, anyone can submit an article, and they've got their own content contributors or whatever, they actually do do some journalistic work it's just not representative representative of the entire site uh number one doo-doo haha uh number two (laughs) number two number three uh if you going back to a point you made previously like the internet puts so much at our fingertips yeah never before has the uh breadth of information that we have access to been so great that for any given issue we can find experts to read about yeah everyone can get published all niches and all fields are represented 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 uh not evenly not equally but in some aspect so it's just like if you are curious about a certain thing like the stock market or about you know, credit card churning people, there, there are sources out there that you can read and learn up and, and, you know, become acquainted with. So I guess the only thing that I'd, I'd tell our listeners to do is do the thing I'm doing for a whole week. Don't read the sources you usually get your news from. Find things that are like more out there, more difficult for you. Yeah. And, and avoid the people reposting things onto their newsfeed from those sources, because it's like even inadvertently, we we tend to read the same things from the same people just because of the way these these website algorithms work. So just kind of like tune out for a week and see what you discover on your own without the assistance of like what you would normally do or what the uh, people around you would normally do. Yeah, make your own narrative, or absorb a new narrative. Try to discover a new news source that you can become complacent about. So, uh, yeah, just try to find something else that confirms your bias and keep that train rolling. We're, of course, being sarcastic, but it's just like, just try to open your worldview a little bit and get, uh, you know, a, a different perspective. And I will say that even though I only started reading it because of Silicon Valley, TechCrunch is actually a really good website. Okay, that's good to know. They're real in-depth and I like them. Yeah, but what's not to like? Right? Uh, Right. Man, I feel like we talked for a while about some good high-quality content. You know what, John? We've earned, you know... You know what, damn it. Let's bring back the break. Oh, I'm so tired, Henry. I've I've been waiting for a break for months. And luckily, this week, we actually have a, a musical uh, guest. I, let's call it. Yeah, a musical guest to feature. And so, you know, I'm just going to say it, John. Welcome back to the break. Virtually 
was Joystick with their song Mary Kitchen off of their album Sincerely. Yeah, they're pretty great, and uh, their music is available on Bandcamp, Spotify, and all those digital outlets. So look up Joystick, spelled just like you'd expect. And I, it's got an exclamation point on the end. So look up Joystick exclamation point on iTunes, SoundCloud, Bandcamp. Find them. Find them. Give them a listen. They're friends of the show and friends of you know. And if you know anything about us, friends of the show, you shed your doubloons on them. Yeah. Put down that double dollar, man. Hey, you should bet your bottom dollar in their wallets. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what you should do. And uh, I feel like this is tracking on. So let's just move on, John. Okay, please. Let's move on. Hey, John. Oh, boy. Uh, what are we doing? Oh, what are we doing, Henry? I think we're coming back from a refreshing The Break to talk about some sweet, thrilling content. Uh, what content? Did you have any content in mind? I, I think, I feel like we, we front-loaded this episode with very serious, heavy stuff. Yeah, I think we need to talk about a lot less serious, less PTSD, less, uh, news stuff. Yeah, let's let's stay on the lighter side of things and uh, talk about, I don't know. You know what I want to ask you about, Henry? What do you want to ask me about, John? Where's my son? What? Where's my fucking son? Where did you take my son? John, it's part of our contract that you don't bring that up on the show. <laughs> You're right, Henry, sorry. Yeah, people might get the wrong idea, John. Okay, cool. People might think that I'm keeping your son in the locked basement somewhere in, in the, uh, the state of Nebraska. I'm just going to keep playing with this child's hat. Yeah, the, you do that. And, uh, you know, tell Billy Club I said hello. Oh, Billy Club? You mean yeah, the, the club I organized to help find my son, Billy? <laughs> I, I was referring to Billy Club, the man that stands outside your window each night to make sure that you don't call the police. Oh, that's his name. Oh, uh, have you not been introduced? No, I just came up with a nickname for him. What's your nickname for Billy Club? The Thrasher. That's a pretty good name, although he's not really known for thrashing. He's, he's actually a, a gentle soul. He, he seems like a gentle soul. We don't talk a lot, but he's got a good aura. Speaking of not talking a lot, uh, do you think we might be able to do a What Did You Watch? 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 A Yes. Alright, I, I feel like uh, I've got, we probably have some pretty good things that we watched, considering we haven't done this segment in a little, and in a, in a, in a, as you put it, a hot minute. Yeah, we haven't done this segment in a month of Sundays. Um, what is a month of Sundays? That's the second time I've seen that today. It's like 30 Sundays. Oh, so not a month composed of 30 Sundays, but 30 Sundays as in like 30 weeks. Yeah, it's like Tiki Week. <laughs> it last all year. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so, John, what did you watch? What did I watch? That's yeah, a great you know, question. The, the, this, this is, of course, the segment where we talk about something we experience with our eyes, ears, nose, or mouth, but not strictly with just our ears. Yes. If you experience something strictly with your ears, get the fuck out of town. Yeah. Sorry, music. You don't belong here. Fuck off, music. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> What I watched was a little film called Baby Driver. No way! That's exactly the film that I was going to talk about. You know what I watched, Henry? What did you watch, John? I watched the first two and a half seasons of a little show called Silicon Valley. We could talk about Baby Driver if you want. We could do a double what did you watch. Double what did you watch about Baby Driver? About Baby Driver. I would love to talk about Baby Driver. I've seen that movie three times. You've seen it three times? Three times. Oh my gosh, I've only seen it the once. Yeah, no, I like that movie a lot. Alright, so let's start at the top, you know. Edgar Wright, he's a pretty good director. You might have seen Hot Fuzz or Shaun of the Dead or At World's End or whatever the third one was called. Yeah, the Cornetto uh, Trilogy. Yeah, you might have you might have experienced some or all of the Cornetto Trilogy. And uh, is this the first film he's made after the uh, the finale of the Cornetto trilogy? I feel like he's made other movies. He made Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Well, yeah, that was that was in the middle of the Cornetto trilogy. 
Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure that he has. I, I know he was on Ant-Man for a hot second, but then they pulled him off of it due to creative differences. So this might be the first film he made since At World's End or whatever the hell that movie's called. I think it's called At World's End. No, that's something Pirates like of the Caribbean. Is that Yeah, it's Pirates of the Caribbean. So The World's End or something like that? I think that's right. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> um, and uh, how would you classify Edgar Wright? I would classify Edgar Wright as a highly irreverent comedic director in style who has tones that run the gamut and is just a really interesting visual storyteller. I think, and I think Baby Driver, while having comedic moments, is not quite the comedy that I thought it was going to be. It's more of a love letter to just Driver movies. Oh yeah, it's it's part comedy, but a lot of it is uh, just an action movie, an action semi-unbelievable romance movie. Yeah, I feel like Edgar Wright was like, you know what we haven't had in a while that's not Fast and the Furious, and and the answer is a good car movie, you know? Yeah, in, in some ways, Baby Driver really takes the car chase movie back from Fast and the Furious. Yeah, because you know, Fast and the Furious is all about, like, these really huge set pieces that are, you know, thrilling and, and cinematically kind of, like, the spectacle is off the charts... And, but, like, the car chase movie, if you go back to, like, Smokey and the Bandit or or even, like, Blues Brothers, was just more about kind of, like, simple, executed action. And the... I mean, look at the beginning of Baby Driver, which is one of the most arresting first ten minutes of a movie I've ever seen. The, the beginning, you know, it just it enthralls you. Yeah, I mean, for, well, I mean, okay, we'll back up because we both like it, apparently. Yeah, but, we uh, both like it. We're, we're, we're both we're both running our engines hot. <laughs> huh, engines, drive. <laughs> Cars, wheels. <laughs> but uh, Baby Driver is an action movie by Edgar Wright, all those other things, uh, starring Ansel Elgort. Elgort? Elgort. Uh, the guy from Hail Caesar. The guy from... No. Yeah. No, that's Alan Ehrenreich. Like I said, Ansel Urquhart. Anyway, uh, Ansel Elgort. Uh, uh, the guy is going to be Han Solo. No, different. <laughs> oh my God, different guy. Are you sh- okay, you're you're probably right. All the, white people look the same. Uh, Ansel Elgort was in Divergent and The Fault in Our Stars before this movie. Poor guy. And he is a he's a really good actor, but he plays Baby, who is a driver. For this kind of unnamed criminal cartel that seems primarily interested in just attaining money. You've seen it more than I have, but I got the understanding that it was probably just Doc running things. Yeah, Doc just seemed, Doc played by Kevin Spacey, uh, just seems to be kind of a crime father figure who's trying to get rich doing crimes. Yeah, it's like... You know, an unexplained criminal operation that Doc organizes, and he he hires these crews uh, consisting of a driver, like some muscle, and and you know some. It, it kind of goes back between muscle and like like faces, if mm-hmm. you will, like facemen. Mm-hmm. Um, and that they pull off uh, the string of crimes seemingly in a short period of time, and the entire movie is scored by almost entirely diegetic music, which is music that takes place in a scene. Oh, okay. So, like, music that that is actually happening within the action of the movie. Yeah, the the movie gets away with this by saying that the character of Baby has tinnitus from an accident when he was young, so he listens to music to drown it out. So all of the music that you hear is playing in Baby's earbuds as the movie progresses. And that's a really neat sort of movie-making trick to, to, to work your soundtrack into the movie itself, into the character. Uh, it's not something you can do twice, like, as a director, but to do it well once is really awesome. And uh, I would say that this is... I would say that this is Edgar Wright's first try doing this, but he actually did this before. Uh, in the music video. The music video for, I believe, Mint Royal... 
I think so, starring uh, Noel Fielding. Yeah, Noel Fielding, which is actually played on the TV for a second in the apartment. I, I really like that Easter egg, but I only caught it because the Alamo Draft House played the music video before the movie. Oh, Alamo Draft House. Oh, man, they're really good at what they do. But uh, but anyway, when I say you can only do it once, I mean, I meant like in a feature film. You can get away with it in a music video, of course, because music videos, you know, they get away with everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really liked the... I I liked the portrayal of tinnitus in the one scene that we get to see him without the earbuds. Mm -hmm. Because, I don't know if you know this about me, John, but I I actually have tinnitus. Whoa! Yeah, and um, it's normally... I don't have it to the degree that it was portrayed in the film. Because I can normally tune it out with just background... Just the background noises that's happening uh, normally. But, like, the buzzing of the electric things, like, that... They must have interviewed somebody or done some research because it was really spot on. One of the uh, the best uses of tinnitus in that movie is when he loses his music at a particularly tense point and the soundtrack is just that uh, humming, whistling noise. Yeah. It's a it's it's very good, but there may be one or two spots in that movie where the mu- where the music isn't diegetic and it's almost impossible to tell. Yeah, I, the music is such a big part of this film, even in one of the opening scenes where uh, the the character of Baby is going to get coffee, uh, th- there's a song playing and the lyrics are spray painted on the walls and like on the sidewalk, mm-hmm. like, and, and like it lines up exactly as it's saying it, that's when you see it, it's like so much care was taken place to match the soundtrack with the action so that it becomes seamless. I can tell you why that was the case. Why was that the case, John? Because one of the people in the edit bay was a famed dance choreographer. There's a lot of like choreograph like my, my girlfriend brought this up that a lot of a lot of the uh the action seemed choreographed and like set to the music and time. Yeah, because when when Edgar Wright I was reading an, an interview he gave and he was talking about how having an entire like playlist for the movie actually made the movie significantly easier to shoot because when you're just shooting uh, for your dailies, you don't know what you're going to pick. But yeah. when you have a song, you're like, I need something that conveys this feeling for one minute and three seconds. And that's all we shoot. That's a very ambitious way to shoot a film. Because he, uh, was, he was saying that there's a moment in the first song that plays, which is, I think James Spencer Blues Explosions Bell Bottoms. Okay. And there's a moment where the song turns and Edgar Wright's like, all right, this is the hero moment for the song. We need something to happen for six seconds to to show that the tide has turned and the odds that baby is up against. He's like, all right, we film a rearview mirror and we put six cop cars and that's our six seconds. That's all we have to film. We don't have to mess around with trying anything else. In a way, the soundtrack is is then writing the movie kind of for you, which is a an interesting way to, to write and, and shoot your film. Yeah, and Edgar Wright said picking the songs was hard, but once he had the songs in mind, it was significantly easier to to direct because it just told him what he needed. That That's a very interesting way of filmmaking, and, and I wonder if Edgar Wright's going to do something like that in the future so we can see like a different take on the same sort of style of, of shooting. And, uh, you know, if, if you look through that whole movie, there are little tiny, fun... Uh, touches and nods to the fact that all the music is kind of influencing the action because my favorite scene in the entire movie uh and i won't give any spoilers away but something something very big and drastic happens to baby's character and then there's this big chase through midtown atlanta yeah and it is all set to the song Hocus Pocus by Focus, which is a rock yodeling song. Oh, that's right. I remember that now. And uh, my, one of my favorite moments of that is about halfway through this extended version of Hocus Pocus by Focus, a gunfight breaks out and all of the gunshots fall yeah. on the downbeat of that song. It, it, it's that it's like it's magic. It's amazing, you know. It's so perfect that we don't question it 
like how realistic it is because it doesn't matter. This is the world of the film. And at this point, we're so invested in it. We're so, you know, suspending our disbelief that even this moment that should jar us out of it doesn't just because it's so stylized. And I feel like that's where almost everyone that I've talked about this movie with really enjoyed it. And some people didn't enjoy it so much. And I think that it comes down to either you are in this movie from the jump or you're not. Yeah, and that 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 kind of fits a lot of Edgar Wright's sort of movies, you know. Except for like not even Scott Pilgrim is like you're either in the movie, you're either with it, or you're just not buying into it, and it, it's it's hit or miss literally. And when I when I went to go see the movie for the first time, I was on a huge high. I just ate some General So's chicken, well tofu chicken. Yeah, and it was a. Uh, it was great. I was in a good mood. So when it started and uh, James Spencer's Blues Explosions, Bell Bottoms started playing and Baby started singing along to him like, yeah, this is awesome. But I went but? to see it a second time and I wasn't in a great mood and I saw that scene. I still love the movie, but I thought I could see how someone could see this and think it's too cute and be turned off from the rest of the movie. Especially in the opening scene when we see Baby sort of like jamming out in his car, which is very reminiscent of the music video. Mm-hmm. That 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 is a that does verge on a, on a little too cute, but you know he doesn't do it throughout the film. Yeah, and I I just think that if that puts you in a bad mood, it things are weighed in your favor to see the movie and be like, oh, that's that's too cute, whatever, I'm not in this world, because if you're not in this world accepting that everything is crazily choreographed and, and set to the beat and this weird, uh, implausible universe of romance and crime exists, then you're never going to get into it. Yeah. And, and maybe your mood going into the film might affect it too, because the, the one time I saw it, I was just coming off of, you know, a high of Irish pub food and some nice dark beer, and I, I had no expectations from the film because I had seen nothing about it, and my my girlfriend was the one who's like, we need to go see this movie. And I was like, all right, sure, I'll go to the movie. And then it just, it floored me from, like, that first ten minutes on, and so it's like, I was in it. You know, I, I can critique it from a distance now, but if you would have asked me to critique it, like, the, the next day, I would have been like, no, it's a perfect film. <laughs> yeah, I, I left that theater thinking that Baby Driver was one of the best five movies I've ever seen. And now it's maybe in the top 20. I, I definitely think it's one of the four movies that you should see this year, uh, which is Dangerous Territory, because I think we're already at three. But, um, uh, you know, maybe with some distance, it might be off the list. Who knows? But uh, no, I, I definitely think it's on the list and I will kill anyone who says otherwise. <laughs> But I, I didn't, I've, I don't know if I've ever had this experience as an adult, like not a teenager or a 20 year old, which does not yeah. classify as an adult to be clear. All right. Uh, I haven't had this experience where I leave a movie theater with a group of people and we just can't stop excitedly talking about the movie we just saw. Yeah. Yeah. A lot. Of, that's one thing that I miss about going to the movies with friends. It's like a lot of these days it's kind of like, oh, we're going to go our separate ways now. And no one talks about the movie. It's like, wait, no, we got to have a, a whole diatribe on this. We, we got to break this down and, and, you know, focus on well, why is it so great? Yeah, it was a group of mid-twenties people, functioning adults who were blabbering like children about how much fun they had watching Baby Driver. It it definitely, there's something, you know, kind of like childlike and wonderful about it. And it's great, but... It does have a few flaws, John. We we sh- we shouldn't we we shouldn't we shouldn't avoid the the ugly spots. No, I, I think that it would be disingenuous to say that the movie's perfect and it has pretty big storytelling problems. And yeah, especially just with some of the characters and their motivations and the way they act and why they would be with this particular operation for so long, even after certain events happen and you know what i'm talking about oh yeah and i'm gonna say that straight up this movie is way too long uh the Uh, movie the movie pushes two hours and there is a uninterrupted 20 minute segment in that movie where it heightens the tension and is completely unnecessary that yeah there's a lot there's a lot that jamie uh, jamie character jamie fox's character does that 
he does a great performance, don't get me wrong, but it kind of drags on a little too much. Yeah, I, I definitely think that uh, there was just this 20-minute this period that could have been cut. It would have been a super tight, like, 90-minute movie. Yeah, I, in a way, it, it feels like it wanted to be like a three-episode arc of like a 43-minute drama. And that, you know, there's three... Oh, that might be a spoiler. But, the, you know, we see multiple jobs being done, and each job kind of, like, complicates... Uh, <clears throat> baby drivers, baby driver, baby's motivations for doing this, mm-hmm. um, in, in a way that it's like, oh, maybe a four episode arc, because then you have the climax. But they're trying to jam pack that into a two hour movie and, and like have like the slow rising tension at the same time. And so the pacing, which like the weirdest thing, the pacing in this car movie feels a little off. Yeah, well, when they're in cars, it's perfect. When they're out of cars, the pacing feels weird. Yeah, you know, in the way that you can't do... You you couldn't do Fury Road without the the whole movie being a car chase. It's, you know, this Baby Driver movie, you can't do that because that's that's Mad Max. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, it's just that's not the world we live in. Even though I, I kind of expected that to be the case... Like I thought that was gonna be like the final the the final sequence that we saw, um, but even then, it, it's just kind of like we you need all these these slower moments to really dive into Baby's character, but for some reason, like it, it feels a little mismatched, I guess. And I've got a I've got a question for you, and no spoilers. All right. Did you think the ending was weak? The ending. Actually, I really liked the ending because of its realistic sort of outcome. We can't talk about specifics. Yeah. Maybe you lose something a little bit when you you go down that super realistic route. But I I really appreciated, and I've only seen it once, so maybe on a second view I might not like it as much. But I really appreciated, like... Just the, the, I guess, altru- altruisticness of it? I, I don't know. You, you never see that in a film these days. Yeah, no, I, I definitely, I appreciated the realistic portions of it. I just thought that the imagery that was used right at the end, calling back to imagery that was used previously, I thought it was kind of hacky. Yeah, I, you know, if you're going to go the super realistic route with the ending, you can't have the daydream be the reality, you know? Yeah, you you can't have you can't have that thing that happened at the very end. But overall, great, great, great movie. Top twenty, easy. I definitely, I I mean, I definitely think this is a. I gotta have more of it. Yeah, we gotta have Baby Driver two. Well, I, I'm not saying Baby Driver two. I'm saying this stylistic way of of shooting a film. That this the, this thing with the soundtrack being so integral to the plot and to the character. I want to see Edgar Wright direct another movie, maybe not Baby Driver 2, but maybe a separate project in the same style and see how it holds up. I mean, I would be very interested in... This is something that people say of Edgar Wright. They say that he's a very skilled visual comedian, and that's true, but that isn't what he... The reason why he's a skilled visual comedian when it comes to being a director is he just cares about how his movie looks a lot. Yeah, and and that's really important as a director, you know. He he understands that like motion and imagery tell a story just like acting and editing and sound do. Yeah, it all for a movie it all has to come together to tell the story. You, you can't have any stray parts or anything like that because then you're detracting from something or another. You can't focus on just one aspect because then it's like, oh, well, then it's just a music video or then it's just a book. You know, movies are the combination of like five different types of art forms. And we're in a place with cinematography right now where for the most part people seem to believe that if you make a shot look pretty and you have good dialogue in it and you have good editing, that that's enough. And yeah, that's that's good. That's checking most of the boxes. But the cinematography has to help tell the story and not just be pretty. Like, yeah, your shot is symmetrical with a forward-facing character and things on the walls are interesting. And you set this to be an interesting-looking shot, but it tells dick of a story. Yeah, it might be a little 
pretentious to say, but if if your camera angles and and that's that's too that's too reductive. But like, if your cinematography isn't helping telling the story, then you're not making a movie. You're making a filmed story. I don't know if that makes sense, but I, I think you know what I'm saying. Yeah, because it being a good this is something that uh, I've, I've been thinking about a little bit because Dunkirk's coming out, which is a Chris Nolan movie. Yeah, Christopher Nolan is a really skilled visual storyteller. I would agree with that. And you have uh, other really skilled visual storytellers. You know, you have your your Wes Andersons and everything else, but your your Lars von Triers. But 